This morning, we're going to be talking about, well, the title of the message is Lead Me, Lord. Lead Me, Lord. There's an old song that we sing sometimes that is titled Lead Me, Lord. And it goes like this, Lead Me, Lord, I will follow. Lead Me, Lord, I will go. Where you call, um, you have called me and I will answer. Lead me, Lord, I will go. It's a song of dedication. It's a song where we're saying, God, whatever you ask me to do, wherever you lead me, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. It's a song of consecration and it's, it's an attitude that we can have to say, no matter what, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be in your perfect will in my life. Often we say, lead me, Lord, and I will follow. But do we really mean it? Is it really coming from our hearts? Is it just something we say in the moment, and then when it comes down to actually doing what he wants us to do, does it become that much more difficult? When We, we may have the right intentions when we say it, but when it comes down to it, the actual following is a lot harder than it seems like when we're at the altar or when we're praying, when we're making that dedication to God. When we are having a time of dedication of our lives to Jesus at the altar, we want to do everything that Jesus asks. And that's good and that's right. And that's where we should be. But are we willing to follow when Jesus says go? Are we willing to follow when Jesus says no? Sounds like Dr. Zeus, but you will get the idea. I've heard stories of people in the church worldwide being mightily used of God because they were sensitive to God's spirit and God's voice and followed his leading. Even though on the surface it seemed to be strange or unusual or even something that seemed even stupid to the natural man. I remember one story when I was growing up where a saint was instructed by God to follow a car. So they were in their car and they followed the car. And the car went a few different streets and then, then out um, on, onto an open highway. And eventually the car in front of them stopped. And, and, uh, and so they stopped behind them. And then they, they got out um, and, and went, um, went to, to the door of this person that they'd been following. And the, the window wound down just a little bit. And and the the person said, "Why are you following me?" And and uh, and then the person who had been following said, "Well, God God told me to follow you." And then the window went all the way down. They'd been praying that God would lead them to to uh, salvation. To um, they, they 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 their life was a mess, and they they needed God. But, and God used this person that was sensitive to his spirit to do something incredible and unnatural that they could not have done in their own, from their own imagination. There's another story um, that I remember also as I was growing up. I remember being preached where a minister was woken up in the middle of the night and told to sing, there's power in the blood from his balcony. So this is the middle of the night. Everyone's asleep. So he, he was sure it was the Lord, so he did it. He sang it, and then he went back to bed. 
And uh, in the morning, there was a knock at his door. And he said, and there was a man there. And he said, I was in my bathroom. And I was going to commit suicide. But when you sang that song, (laughs) there's no limits to the power of God when we are sensitive to his spirit. And the thing is, God wants to call us to a deeper relationship with him. God wants us to be able to be sensitive enough to his spirit that when we get something crazy come into our lives, we recognize that that's the voice of God and we obey. That is the hardest thing to do. We need to have a trust in God and we need to know God's voice for that to be able to happen. The power of God isn't limited when we follow his voice and his leading. But are we willing to be his vessels, his hands and his feet to do his work in this lost and in this dying world? Are we willing to do something out of the ordinary at God's prompting and leading? The first thing that we need to do if we were going to follow Jesus wherever he leads is to be sure that it's his voice. If we listen to anything that comes into our mind, then we're going to get into trouble very quickly. We need to know that it's his voice. That's not something that's learned overnight. It's not something that you just switch on. That, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to hear God's voice now and, and it's only going to be God's voice and I'm going to just do everything that, that he asks in faith. No, it's not learned overnight, but it's a process where we recognize and we learn God's, God's voice, usually first in the small things. God directs us and leads us in a small thing. And it may not even be something that's spiritual or greatly spiritual, but God, we start to learn God's voice. We start to learn how God leads us and how he directs us and how he speaks to us in the small things. And when he follows through and we don't get let down, we start to learn what his voice is in our lives. We start to trust in him. And then he can lead us further and deeper as we learn to trust in him more. John chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Jesus is talking about a, a parable about the sheep and him being the shepherd. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. There is a distinct voice that we hear. It may not be audible, but God will lead us. God will direct us. God will guide us through our spirits and sometimes through an audible voice. For some people, God speaks in an audible voice in their mind. For others, God sometimes even audibly speaks to them. They actually hear it through their ears. For others, God gives an impression in their spirit to do this or don't do that. Just as we are all individuals with different strengths and different weaknesses, so God speaks to different people in different ways. You need to learn how God speaks to you and learn it well. Because you're not only going to hear God's voice in your life, 
God isn't the only one that's going to speak into your mind. God isn't the only one that's going to try to influence the way that you think, you act, and your direction in your life. Just like with almost everything in life, there is the real and there is the counterfeit. And sometimes the counterfeit can seem almost exactly like the original. I'm reminded of paintings where some master painter has painted a masterpiece and then another painter with some incredible skill has produced an almost exact replica of that painting. There wasn't their inspiration. They were just copying. But the counterfeit looked so real that only someone who is is well-versed could actually tell the difference between the real and the original. And that's where we need to have honed our spiritual senses to know what is God's voice in our lives and what isn't. So, we know that God will speak into our lives. He will direct. He will guide us. What are some other voices that can speak to us or try to influence our decisions? Well, the first one is the voice of Satan. We have an adversary. We have an enemy that will try to get us to follow him and what he wants to do in the world. Satan has an agenda. Satan wants to have his will done in the world. He wants the world to get worse and worse and further away from God. The thing is, what Satan says to us can seem to make sense and even seem to be from the mouth of God sometimes. 2 Corinthians 11.13 says, um, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. See, Satan can seem like he's an angel of light. He's an angel from God. He can seem that the words that he would speak to us, try to direct us, are the truth, are good. It's going to have the good effect. It's going to be following God. But the Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44 is rebuking the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of the time. Jesus is saying, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Listening to Satan's voice will always lead to an ungodly outcome even if it seems good at first, even if it seems right, even if it seems like it's something godly or biblical. The same thing is true of listening to Satan as it is for false prophets who are led by Satan. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They just want to destroy you, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is, head, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Listening to false prophets and listening to Satan will always be, bring bad fruit, will always bring a bad outcome. And you will know by the outcome whose voice it is. And the thing is, Satan can and will even 
give you scripture to back up what he's speaking into your mind. You, you just have to look at when Satan tempted Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Every single time he brought forth some uh, scripture, but he was twisting it for his own purposes. He was twisting it to try to get his will, try to get Jesus to fall, try to get him to go on the wrong path so that he could not fulfill what he was here on this earth to do. It can be difficult to distinguish Satan's voice from God's sometimes because he comes like an angel of light. But it's important that we learn the difference. Our salvation could depend on it. The second voice is our own voice and our own will. This is generally even more dangerous than Satan's voice because we already believe our voice to be true, our own reasoning. So it's always easy to follow. It always seems to make sense. It always seems to be the right way to do. And it's easy to convince ourselves that we want to do as God's voice by putting a spiritual spin on it. And there's no end to the way that we can uh, misuse Scripture as well to try to back up what we think is right. There's so many ways to twist the Scriptures to mean what we want it to mean. Using our own human reasoning as to why doing this or not doing that is God's will and God's direction. When it's really just coming from our own selfish and wanton desires to do what we want to do and nothing else. Satan gets the blame for a lot of things that he doesn't actually do or say or have a hand in. The truth is, a lot of the time, he doesn't even need to help the process along. We have the capacity to do that to ourselves, to go in the wrong direction ourselves without any help needed whatsoever. That old saying, the devil made me do it, is just an excuse from somebody who did exactly what they wanted to do without regard for the consequences and then found the need to blame somebody else when everything turned out badly. You see, the devil doesn't make anybody do anything. People choose to do what they want to do, whether Satan had an influence in the process or not. You can't blame Satan. You made the choice yourself. For some people, Satan doesn't even need to speak into their minds or nudge them in the wrong direction. And it's that carnal way of thinking that has gotten a lot of UPCA ministers and saints into a lot of trouble over many years, often leading to complete backsliding. For example, people that go out to try to start new churches or do a work for God against the pastor's wishes or advice. A very, very dangerous place. God may have spoken to them. God may have said that they want them to do the work, but when God uses the pastor to say, not now, not yet, then there's this, there's this conflict, there's, there's this stubbornness, there's this rebellion that comes up in their spirit. God may actually use them when they go out and they go against what the advice, the godly advice of the pastor, but they will never be the person of God that they were meant to be. And they will often go out of their way to justify their actions and harbor bitterness and a lack of respect towards the pastor that was actually speaking God's word into their lives. And that is not biblical. Often there is a lack of respect, uh, a, a general lack of respect towards authority from those same people. That's not biblical either. 
You see, God actually wanted to be able to do a greater work through them in the future by just waiting, by by allowing God to mold them, to shape them, to make them more fit for the work that God had called them to do. But their lack of submission to God and to those who God has put in charge will follow them throughout their ministry and greatly hinder the work of God. It will color everything that they try to do for God. And many will backslide or start to teach false doctrine because they never learned obedience to God and to his word. Happened time and time and time again. The third voice is an unusual one. The spirit of the world or the voice of the world. This isn't an audible voice in any normal sense of the word. We don't hear a voice coming out of a rock or dirt in the ground. We're not even talking about the physical earth, the world, what we, our environment that we live in. And it isn't an actual demonic spirit, even though Satan works closely in influencing it. But this voice of the world, it's a worldly mindset that will influence what we believe to be true and right if we let it. It's what society and outspoken people believe to be true, whether it matches the word of God or not. And most often it doesn't match the word of God. Society in general is not godly. We may have originally been built on Christian principles, but people just want to do their own thing. People just want to to do what's popular and follow the crowd. That is not for us. Many denominational churches have fallen into this trap by changing their beliefs or practices to be relevant to people in society. They bend over backwards to ensure that people feel comfortable in their churches, that they feel like they belong. Forget about preaching anything that will convict their sinful lives and bring about a God-given change and freedom from unrighteousness. Forget about following all of God's word and choose to ignore important commandments and instructions of the Bible. That's not as important as getting people into the church. That's the voice of the world in action. That's going along with the mindset of the carnality of society, of the way that things are in this world today. It seems good and right to get more people into church, but they ignore what they are sacrificing to do that. The end doesn't justify the means. And the problem with that way of thinking is that getting people consistently to church isn't even the end. It's not the, the end. Being in a church and, and being in, on a church pew every week uh, faithfully is not the end of the matter. It's a beginning. So that God can continually change their lives to be better, to be closer to Him. It's meant to be a, a process. It's meant to be a change to make us more like Jesus every single day. The catchphrase of business and government organizations today is continuous improvement. Always attempting to do something in a better or a more cost-effective way. Always improving. Always becoming safe, more safe. Always becoming, um, doing something that's going to benefit the organization in some way. Make things faster to do. It's the same process with us. God wants us to continually get closer to Him. To be able to hear His voice more clearly without any of the other junk crowding it out. But if the church or a saint 
has been compromised by listening to the opinions of society or moving in line in the values of this world, then they're heading in the wrong direction. We cannot buy in to the value system of this world. We cannot think that everything that this world considers to be right, to be good, to be, to be acceptable, we cannot go in the same direction. We need to follow the Word of God. We need to follow His principles, the thing that He has set out. He has not changed them. He has not said, okay, well, you can ignore this part now. That's fine. Things have changed. The world has changed. You know, circumstances have changed. We, you know, you can just, you can just ignore this bit. You can, you can let it go. We cannot do that. God has said His Word. It's steadfast. It's sure. It's, it's stable. We, we can build our foundation, our lives on His Word and know that we're heading in the right direction. So, we have learned that there are four different voices that will speak to us, will try to influence our decisions and our life direction. The voice of God, the voice of Satan, our own voice, and the voice of the world. How can we tell the difference? How can we tell the real voice of God from the counterfeit, from the fake? There are a couple of telltale signs that can make things obvious right off the bat without needing to, to really really go into things deeply. Number one, God will never contradict his word or the principles in his word. See, some people say, God told me to do that. God told me that I could do that, that it was all right to do that. But if that's directly against what God has put in his word, that's not his voice. That's not his, that's one of the other voices that you're listening to, if you think that. For example, fornication, God, uh, sexual relations outside of marriage, God has in, God has, has in many ways and many times preached against that and it should never be part of our lives. But if someone says or, or thinks that God has said, well, that's okay to have that relationship. I'm with you in that relationship. That's not God's voice. That's not what God has told you. It's one of the other voices. And number two, God will never contradict the pastor. This is a bit more confronting. After all, isn't the pastor just human like us and can, mista- and can make mistakes just like us? The answer is yes and yes. But... God has a way of directing the pastor and speaking through the pastor directly to our lives. God has set up the leadership chain for the saint being under the authority of the pastor and the pastor being under the authority of God. And in some cases, there's more in the chain going up to the national board like it is in Australia. We ourselves are not an island where God speaks to us and us alone and we get to do whatever we want to do or think is good or right or what we think is God's will. That's not the way that God has set it out. Yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is an incredible and an amazing concept. Yes, Jesus does talk to us. He does give us direction. But that doesn't mean that we are our own authority. 
that God will direct our lives in isolation from the authority that he has put into our lives, from the pastor. No, God works through the pastor because he has set up the pastor into that position in the first place. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Well, not just a a big oops, but we're talking about something more serious than that. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause, pay you tribute also for their God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their Jews tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom fear, to whom fear honor, to whom honor. This scriptural passage is talking about worldly leadership and authority. It's not even talking about church leaders. The Bible is saying that even worldly leaders are set up and put into place by God. Even in the world, it's put in place by God. They are worthy of obedience and tribute. How much more the leaders that God has set up over his own church, should they be worthy of respect and honor and obedience and tribute and 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 what God wants to do. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they give watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And I think that that word unprofitable is, is actually being very light on. Unprofitable really means disastrous if, if, you, if you don't do what God wants you to do. Which means that God works within the structure of the church which he has set up himself. Even if the pastor has gotten it wrong, and we can never be the judge of that, only God himself is the judge of that. God has a way of bringing things around in his time and using the time in between to mold and shape us. Not the pastor, but us. The pastor will need to give account to God for how he or she has overseen the church that God has placed them in authority over. For any godly pastor, that is a daunting responsibility, one which they approach prayerfully and with great sensitivity to God's spirit and God's leading, guiding and direction. But the pastor will never need to give account to you for their performance. You will never be able to mark the pastor off on a checklist to determine how well you think they have done based on how much they agree with you. You will never be able to say that the pastor has got it wrong and still have the right attitude. That's not how authority works and that's not how the church of God works. I'm reminded of Moses in the Old Testament. Moses was put in place over the people of God. 
the children of God. God used Moses in mighty ways to bring them out of the land of Egypt, lead them um, through the wilderness um, to God's direction. Moses never failed God, and he always did what God wanted him to do. He even spoke face to face with God. But at every step of the way, the people of Israel whinged and complained and rebelled and and did everything they could because they could not submit themselves, basically. They were rebellious people. They They could not follow God's direction. They were not willing to submit themselves to God and to the leadership that God had placed over them. God's instruction to us is to submit and obey any godly instruction in line with God's word. So if you ever consult with the pastor on anything, you better be prepared to receive his godly advice. Too many people go to see the pastor with their minds made up on the path that they want to take, and they just want to get official approval from the pastor. And when the pastor, by the Spirit of God, provides advice advice that leads in a different direction, they get their noses out of joint. They automatically believe and may even say that the pastor has got it wrong. The test of submission to authority is not when you agree with the pastor's decision or direction or their godly advice. It's how you handle it when you don't agree. If you get your nose out of joint, if you throw all of your toys out of the pram, if you take your bat and ball and go home, then you're not really in submission to godly authority. If you outwardly submit to the authority but then grumble about it constantly, you're missing the point. And I would say you're not really in submission to godly authority either. What happened in the time of Moses when the children of Israel grumbled and complained and whinged, God wiped a whole heap of them out. Because that's how God feels about those that are not submissive to godly authority. That's not to say that submission is easy. It's not. It takes a swallowing of our own stinking pride, our own rotten stubbornness to truly submit. However, the rewards of submission lie in God molding you and shaping you and being able to use you in a much greater capacity in the future than you could ever have dreamed. What is the right response when you think the pastor has got it wrong? Well, you, you're probably wrong yourself. Um, that's, that's probably the case. But even if it is the case, the way to respond to that is not with grumbling, it's not with whinging, it's not with complaining, but it's about going to God in prayer. And it's about saying, Lord, I believe that you have led me in this direction, but the pastor has told me something different. Lord, if the pastor is wrong, I pray that you will bring it around the right way. I pray that you will help me to realize if I'm on the wrong path. That is submission with humility. That is the response, the godly response, to when things don't go your way. That is the godly response. And then keep praying about it. Make sure that your attitude is right. And then you'll see what God will do in your life. That is submission. But that doesn't give you much instant gratification, does it? 
It's all part of God's design. It's all part of his helping you to grow. It's all part of bringing him closer, bringing you closer to him so that he can be closer to you. The submission comes first, and then God being able to use you comes second, not the other way around. If I could get someone to the altar, please. You know, in the olden times, it seemed like there were so many who were willing to follow God's voice and his call, even though some things seemed crazy, even though it seemed like it didn't make sense to their minds. Lord, help us. Help me to be that sensitive to your spirit. And when God says go, then when God says follow that car, and when God says, sing that song at the top of your voice, that we'll be sensitive to his spirit. We can't do it because we think it'd be a good thing to do or because we think that it will have some sort of impact. We need to follow his voice. We need to know his voice. We need to be in submission to his authority to be able to be used of God. This morning is a time of dedication. So many times we dedicate ourselves to the altar and say, Lord, lead me. I will follow and I will go. But this morning, let's follow through. Let's come to him. Let's come to him and say, God, help me to be sensitive to your spirit. Help me to know what's your voice and help me to trust you enough that I will do what you ask me to do. If you say to go and do this, help me, help me to be trusting in you enough to do that. If you say no to me for anything in my life, Lord, help me to trust in you enough to be sensitive to your spirit to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I will follow you. I will submit to your voice and your authority in my life. God wants to use us in a greater way than we've been able to be used before. But we're not going to get that by listening to our own voice. We're not going to get that by holding back and not trusting in God. We need to know His voice. Would you stand?